Stephen Henderson today on the podcast. We're going to talk about property taxes in the city of Detroit and whether we can come up with reasonable reforms to ease the burden on homeowners and businesses that is a real disincentive to the growth that we need in the city. Eric Lufer, who heads the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, and John Moak, a Wayne State law professor who has written extensively about tax reform in Detroit will join us to talk about how we approach these questions and how we come up with solutions that'll actually work. Two really great guests uh, with us. John Moak is a law professor uh, at Wayne State University Law School and has been uh, talking publicly, really, about uh, the tax structure here in Detroit and some solutions for a long time. Uh, John, welcome to Detroit Today. Stephen, thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Yeah. Uh, also with us is Eric Lufer. He is the president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. It's a nonprofit research organization. Eric, welcome back to Detroit Today. Steve, it's great to be with you again. So uh, I, I want to start. Uh, I'm going to start with you, John. Uh, I remember several years ago uh, you writing a very compelling piece about. Uh, the idea that the tax burden here in the city was too high, the property tax burden was too high, uh, and that we would be better off without it. Uh, I want to start with you explaining how you came to that uh, conclusion and uh, whether, I guess, you sustain your enthusiasm for it even today. Well, I do, and I first began to think about this question when we had the the great mass of tax foreclosures back uh, during the downturn in the economy of 2007, 8, 9, and 10, and tens of thousands of homeowners were being thrown out of their homes through tax foreclosure, and there was a desire on the part of the leadership to um, address this and uh, 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 further the uh, homeownership of those who were losing it and encourage others to to purchase homes and become homeowners within our neighborhoods. And to me, the silver bullet was eliminating the real property tax on homeowners. It would intend to encourage people to stay in the city. It would prevent tax foreclosure. It would encourage people to move to the city. It would deal with uh, the overassessment issue that has arisen in which it's been alleged that uh, homeowners in the city have been overcharged by to uh, higher assessments than should have been imposed upon them by hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, so my thought was that if you eliminated the real property tax on homeowners, that you could you could address many of the issues that, that homeowners face in carrying the heavy tax burden and dealing with the other issues that uh, they uh, face in terms of maintaining their homes so they'd have extra money to put into repairs. There would be an incentive to stay and an incentive to, for foes to move, and there would be the elimination of tax foreclosures so people would not be thrown out of their homes. Yeah. Now, there's a challenge to that, and uh, Eric Looper is, is well aware of it and maybe want to comment, but uh, you have to fill the gap yeah. because um, the, there's revenue that comes from the tax on real property tax on homeowners. It's a very small percentage of the total revenue the city relies upon for its annual operating budget. It's probably around 5% of the city. About 15% of the city's revenue comes from real property taxes on all property. 
but uh, the major portion of that tax is paid by industry and commerce and businesses and also by those who own uh, investment property, landlords. But homeowners represent only a small percentage of that amount, and uh, there would have to be uh, an identification of an alternative source of revenue, which is a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And um, but that's my view that uh, we should eliminate the real property tax on homeowners. Yeah, uh, Eric Lufer, you and I have also had this conversation several times about the tax structure in Detroit. Uh, I, I don't know that you and I have ever actually talked about the idea of getting rid of uh, at least the city's share of of property taxes. And we should be clear: the city of Detroit is just one governmental authority that imposes or that assesses. Uh, uh, property in the city. You've got lots of other uh, taxes, property taxes uh, that, that are added from the library, from the schools, from from lots of different uh, interests. But uh, but but the the largest portion really comes from from the city. Um, what do you make of of John Moke's idea that we could move away from that and toward uh, something else? And and what do you make of the uh, I guess the landscape right now with regard to property taxes. Uh, Mayor Duggan uh, has has really focused on trying to make that burden more, uh, more, more, uh, well, just easier for 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 Detroiters. He's got this new proposal that he says is going to make it even better for us. But but give us a sense of where you think we are with the property tax as a disincentive here, and whether we should be talking about getting rid of it altogether. So that's that's a lot. I'm glad you had your show extended. We can go till noon dealing <laughs> yes, with all this. We can spend hours talking about spend it. Spend hours talking about it. Yeah, so resident owner-occupied residential property in Detroit is about 14% of the tax base. So just dealing with that part of it is not a huge hit on the on the city and when you think about all the other jurisdictions whether it's Wayne County, the art, uh, you know, the, the Wayne Risa it's an even smaller percent of their tax base. Mm-hmm. So I think for the most part, you could get rid of uh, a lot of that, and it would be a small hit on most of the budget. And the thing for Detroit, the, the city now gets most of its revenue from city income tax. If you have people wealthy enough to own a house, they probably have some sort of income. The city's going to benefit from that, and if it attracts people into the city, now you're growing that income tax base, and and for the city, it, you, it, it'd be a hit, right? It's not revenue neutral in year one, but you'd be able to make up for that. So the the overall issue is the high rate of tax, and mm-hmm. Sue, you know, sort of chronicled what the perils of that are in the immediate region around the studio here. When you think about it, we have you know all those other taxes, but so does Livonia and Dearborn and everyone else in Wayne County. They're paying those. What's different in Detroit? It's levying a high rate for a city income tax, mm-hmm. 20 mills. That's not terribly different than most of the other cities around it. But we also have the library tax. And most insignificantly, the, both the city and the school district have very high debt millages. Yes. Those are really what's different. That's really. So, yes, we could tinker at the edges in dealing with, uh, you know, the, the split rate tax would provide some relief. All relief is good. I don't mean to poo-poo that in any way. But until we can do something about that debt millage, you're, you're just tilting at windmills a little bit. Yeah. 
And so you know, the, the city has been running surpluses and reinvesting in the city in different ways. I would really endorse the idea of using any surplus money to pay down the debt, get out from under that. Unfortunately, the library debt is going to be here long past you and I are gone. Yeah. This is generations from now are going to be paying that school debt. Uh, but all, all relief is good. We just have to find a way to make it meaningful. Yeah. So so I, I have had this thought for a while about the tax situation in Detroit that, that I think gets lost in the particulars of conversations about specific proposals. So uh, the, the property tax, which in if you went to most other cities and looked at their revenue structure, the property tax would be at or – near the top of the list in terms of uh, It's going to be sources. at the top at everyone except for a few municipalities. That's right. I mean, it is the primary way that cities fund themselves. Uh, and that made sense in Detroit when we had uh, close to 2 million people and this incredible rate of uh, single-family home ownership. Uh, this was this was uh, a, a great way, really, to 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 fund the city, but we've lost so many people, and the activity, the I guess the primary activity, I think, in the city has changed at the same time. And what I mean by that is, yes, there are still a lot of people who live in Detroit, but there are far more people who do other things in Detroit and don't live here. Uh, if you go downtown almost any day of the week right now, and you can see how that plays out. Uh, it's not just uh, ball games and shows anymore. I mean, there's all kinds of things that people are doing in the city of Detroit, and we don't tax that activity. And so one of the things that I think is important is thinking about uh, how economic activity has changed in the city and how we have missed out on making sure that city government can can glean revenue from that economic activity uh, because of uh, real strictures in the Constitution and, and in some state laws. We don't have the opportunity uh, to do those things. And so we end up talking about the property tax because it is that, that old standby, that thing that, that we have always counted on to fund uh, government in the state. Um, uh, but we're not talking about these other things, which which are happening in in a way in a tax free uh, environment when it comes to the city. Eric, what, what do you think of that? When you compare Detroit to most other major cities in the United States, really what sets us apart is a lack of a local sales tax. And that's exactly what you're speaking to. Right. Mm -hmm. We have people coming in for ball games, for theater, all sorts of activities um, and when you think about other cities in Michigan, uh, whether it's a car dealership or a, a, you know the Best Buy or whatever, it's it's the ability to benefit from the traffic generated and, and the activity surrounding that. We have a constitutional impediment that gets in the way. So more significant than the idea of let's get rid of property taxes completely, we need a constitutional amendment to allow local governments to have a local option sales tax. It's not going to be a good fit for everyone. There's a lot of communities in Michigan where they don't have commerce, and you know it's a bread, uh, a, a what do you call it, bed community? A, right, it's, it's a place that people live right, more than right. than do other things. But when you think about the West Coast of Michigan with all the tourism, when you think about Frankenmuth and Mackinac, 
there's a lot of tourism that goes on in the state. There's a lot of commerce that goes on in the state. And a place like Detroit would benefit tremendously. It's not about, uh, you know, the property tax completely, but it's the balance, right? We say in government finance, you need a three-legged stool of property, income, and sales, and we're missing one leg of the stool, and it really hurts us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John, well, let me make a, yeah, go make ahead. a comment. Uh, uh, the uh, <clears throat> what we what we lack is is the willingness to sit down and and analyze what would be the best solution for Detroit, hmm. and that's really what we're talking about. And you know, considering the adoption of a sales tax would be certainly part of that assessment. Um, the if if one were to uh, use from whole cloth, were to design a, a taxing system that would be fair and be supportive of the city and encourage its redevelopment, uh, you would not include. You would not have a mix, as I think as you pointed out, Stephen, of of the of the of the taxes that we currently have, and certainly the, the real property tax would may not even be part of the of the of the final framework of of the taxing structure. But what's been what's been done here is just single ideas have been put on the table without a thorough assessment of what what would be best to be done. Hmm. And in terms of uh, the obstacles, legislative and constitutional obstacles to to alternative approaches, you know, statutes can be changed and the Constitution can be amended, but there have to be solid ideas that 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 the legislature or the people will get behind uh, in order to uh, be willing to approve the change. And and we just haven't, you know, taken the time. The leadership and hasn't taken the time to work through what would be that the approach that, that should be followed. Yeah, yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about taxes, property taxes in the city of Detroit. We're going to keep Eric Lufer and John Moak with us, but we are going to turn to you, the listeners, next to hear what you think about taxes in the city. Proposals for tax reform, uh, Martha in Ortonville, Eva in Birmingham, Bernadette in Old Redford. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Let's start today on the phones with Martha in Ortonville. Martha, what is on your mind? Thank you. Um, I lived in the Thumb of Michigan for most of my life, and I am in Oakland County since uh, the big turnover in 2000. Um, I believe it was in the 80s when the Headley Amendment came through, big impact was passed. I'm not a great student of history, but Detroit does not exist in a vacuum. And the main attitude of the Headley was, you can have everything you want, and you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> and your experts there, can can they address the fact that that was an attitude that changed? I mean, Michigan schools used to be top in the nation. We're now just about dead last. Yeah, we've slid, uh, slid a long way down the, the, the ladder, Martha. There's no question about that. Uh, I, I'm glad you called and, and invoked uh, the Headley Amendment, which uh, usually comes up when we talk about uh, taxes. Uh, th- those of us who spend a lot of time thinking about this know what that is, but, but I think we've got to go back and, and define it uh, for some folks. Uh, Eric, do you want to start there? 
Yeah, so now we're going to go till 5 o'clock. <laughs> so the, the Headley Amendment was a tax limitation on state and local government, and most particular to our discussion today, it said that the revenues of local government can only grow at the rate of inflation so that if the tax base, the value of all the property in the unit grows faster than the rate of inflation, then you have to scale back the tax rate so that that effect is a inflationary increase. That worked for the most part, except for it was uneven. You could have part of the city growing very fast and the other part growing slowly or, or negative, and the net effect is inflationary, and you are still taxing people out of their house, they say. So in 1994, we added to that with what we call taxable value, and that says on a parcel-by-parcel parcel basis. Now, your, your value of your house for tax purposes can only grow at the rate of inflation. Yeah. And we did a study two years ago that really looked at that, how those two tax limitations interact, and it shows that it's really hurting our local governments. They're not growing at the rate uh, even inflation in some places. And the net effect of that is that we're creating an incentive for urban sprawl because the only way local governments can get ahead of that is to build, build, is build, to build. yeah, or to increase tax rates. And we've documented most of the local governments in Michigan have increased their tax rates in the last 10 years. And, and uh, you know, there is this tension, I guess, that, that exists. I mean, in, in, in explicit terms, the, the, the point of Headley was to slow the growth of individual taxpayers' uh, bills, right? I mean, we had, we had uh, much higher bills before Headley than we had uh, after. Uh, at, at the same time, in a city like Detroit, uh, you, you have a different set of problems, which is that the rate is already too high, and Headley is not so much the problem as it is the rate and the reason the rate is is high has to do with uh, with population and 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 other things. It's a it's you know it's not that Headley is unrelated, but it it it's not I guess at the tip of of the Detroit problem. I don't. No, feel. it's not the tip of the Detroit problem. And yeah. part of the fallacy with the mayor's discussion of the split rate tax, he says if you increase if you invest in your house, that leads to increasing assessments on it. But the fact of the matter is it will only be an inflationary increase the same only, as your neighbor. Right. It's it going has to be capped. It, it, yeah, right. It's capped. And at the end, you might get a better asking price. So you, you might sell your house for more, but that tax limitation really gets in the way of, of any penalty, as the mayor would put it, for investing in your house. Now, if you build a new garage or you put on addition, that's going to affect it, but most people aren't doing that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Milk, I wonder what you make of, of Headley and the role that it plays in all of well, this. Well, <clears throat> there's a, a little-known aspect of Headley uh, that it also included a provision that the state spending on local governments could not be reduced below the amount of spending on percentage of state revenues spent on local governments when Headley was adopted. And that percentage was 48.97% of all state revenue had to be spent on local governments, could be local schools, could be local municipalities. Then in 1994, when there was educational reform and Prop A was adopted, it allowed the state to avoid that minimum requirement 
And uh, and so now, uh, in the first year of 1994, the state could keep $1.5 billion that would otherwise be sent to local governments mm-hmm. to support them. And since then, the amount has increased annually so that now it's around $3 billion the state can keep because Prop A essentially amended Headley. So the Headley structure to preserve the support of local governments through the spending of state-derived revenue was essentially fragmented or fractured by Prop A in 1994. And that really has caused serious uh, problems in terms of supporting local services by local government statewide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Martha, again, really do appreciate uh, the call and uh, and the comments. Uh, let's go next to Michael in Detroit. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, good morning. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Hey, listen, I just want to know, a few years ago, there was talk about the city of Detroit owed like $600 million to people who pay property taxes. And uh, it's like that story just didn't, didn't get out much and just kind of like got swept under the rug. So do you and your guests remember that story? Yeah, of course. Uh, the city uh, failed to adjust people's tax bills as values fell uh, in the in the city. And uh, 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 it was determined that the, the value uh, of that of that overtaxing was about six hundred million dollars. There has not been much of a resolution for that because the city doesn't have six hundred million dollars to pay back uh, to people. But Eric, they, they have been they have been discussing what to do. They, they have been discussing, and there's an effort to um, provide relief to those people affected in other ways. Uh, the ability to come in and buy uh, properties out of the land bank at reduced prices and, and things like that. There's, there's some efforts. The, the problem, if we can all agree that $600 million is the right price, the problem is determining who was affected by it. Right. Even if you weren't taxed out of your home, you were affected by it. And the second problem is where are you going to get the money from, yeah. right? There's not a pot, as you say, of $600 million. The only way to come up with $600 million for a city of government is to tax the people so you're taxing the people in order to give the people $600 million. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael, great question. Really appreciate uh, the call there. Uh, let's go to Eva in Birmingham. Eva, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. So what prompted my call is your discussion with Susan Mosley mm-hmm. on development. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to mention, you know, I bought an investment property in downtown Columbus, Ohio, on the on the Scioto River. And it made me think of Detroit because, you know, it's so beautiful. It has such potential. And what prompted me to buy the investment property in Columbus is that the city was giving incentives for mm-hmm. developers mm-hmm. to abate the taxes for residents for a number of years. And what it did is it it caused a lot of people to, especially people at retirement age, to because this was a condo condominium development, to sell their homes in suburbia to the younger people, and they would go downtown because they love. There's a lot of exactly, and there's a lot of activity in downtown Columbus, just like there is in Detroit That's with you know the ball games and 
I mean, it is, and it and it really worked. I mean, it. So Eva, I don't want to I don't want to cut you off, but I want to make sure we get uh, our our guests to be able to answer. It's a really interesting example. Uh, Eric Lufer, uh, abatements for homeowners is an interesting idea, um, or for people who move into developments. Uh, that's not something we've tried here in Detroit. Well, it's really the essence of John's uh, suggestion right. that we provide tax relief or or completely eradicate the taxes in some way for owner-occupied residential property. Uh, I think her, what Columbus is doing, if I understand what she described, is even apartment dwellers mm-hmm. might get that sort of relief. Um, so, yeah, the residential property is only about a quarter more or less of the city's tax base. If you could provide that sort of relief, that sort of tax abatement. Um, the issue is a tax abatement's a Band-Aid. Right? Yeah. You're, you're not fixing the underlying problem. You're not problem. fixing the structure. Yes. Yeah. So at let some me, point, me, like yeah, John says, we have to address the, yeah. the overall John, problem. John, we've got about a minute left, but go ahead. Oh, uh, let me just say that the Detroit, uh, Michigan has a form of that and what's known as the residential enterprise zone. The NEZ. Where there's a, yeah. par- a partial tax abatement available in the city for new developments and substantial rehab of existing buildings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although with the land value tax proposal, one of the little asterisks in that uh, idea is that uh, the NEZ credit would go away. It's something I'm actually pretty worried about because I'm somebody yeah. who lives in the city and has the NEZ now, and I don't want to give it up for the promise of, uh, of lower taxes in the future. Okay, uh, John Moak and Eric Lufer, always great to talk with both of you. Thanks so much for being here for this discussion. A pleasure, Steve. Thank you. Today's episode of Detroit Today was produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Nate Bender. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Editing and mixing is by Connor Anderson. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Our podcast manager is David Lyons, and our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET Public Radio. If you love the conversations we have on Detroit Today, consider donating to WDET, the public radio station in Detroit that we call home. If you want to be a part of the conversation and call in, you can listen live every day on WDET.org or on the WDET mobile app. Or if you live in Southeast Michigan and still love listening to good old-fashioned radio like me, tune in to 1019 FN.